This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Time can feel like it's in short supply. Between work, family, and friends, there's very little time left just for you. What would you do with an extra hour in your day? What's important to you? Therapy can help you find what matters to you so that you can do more of it. It's a great way to increase self-awareness, build a greater sense of purpose, deal with overthinking, and more. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online and designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash be here now today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash be here now. Welcome to Lama Suryadas's Awakening Now podcast. We are very pleased to share with you Lama's unique illumination of the awakened awareness teachings. If you are interested in supporting Lama Suryadas's podcast, please go to beherenownetwork.com/suryadas. So, if you ask the Dalai Lama, what's the essence of Buddhism? Of course, he famously has said, in the West, in America, loving kindness is my religion. We all know that he's a Buddhist, but he, and a Buddhist monk, lifelong monk, but he says loving kindness is my religion. To make the point that we shouldn't fall into the wisdom tradition of Buddhism and just cultivate or develop or think it's about from the eyebrows up and that it's only all about mind and mindfulness and wisdom and insight and realization and so on. That there's also wisdom and compassion like the two wings of a bird. As the bird can't fly with only one wing, the bodhisattva needs the wings of transcendental or penetrating insightful wisdom, discernment, discriminating wisdom, prajna, and upaya, compassionate, skillful means, resourcefulness, compassionate, skillful means, appropriate to needs and conditions, tools and techniques, compassionate, skillful means, upaya, and prajna, wisdom and love in action, let's say. So in one word, loving kindness, in two words, wisdom and compassion, of course, if in the East, the Dalai Lama would always say the essence of Buddhism is the Four Noble Truths, which is the backbone of Buddhism. We're not here to study that. You can read all about it in Awakening the Buddha Within, the Eight Steps to Enlightenment, about the Eightfold Path, which is the Fourth Noble Truth. A chapter on each of those. And it's a path of awakening, of enlightenment. Not a path to God. The Buddha was a Hindu, but he discovered this path of enlightenment, this way of awakening. And awareness practice is its main specialty, although there's various factors of enlightenment. 
We're not going to go into all that and all that list and study those things. You can study those. Are you getting the Four Noble Truths and the Eightfold Paths? Or we could write it on the, the flip chart, Tricky, if that's, you know, you can have somebody else do that. This is a new system, so it's a little tricky. The Eightfold Path divided into the three trainings, ethics, meditation, mindfulness, and wisdom and love. Without ethics, how can we be clear? We're always looking over our shoulder, wondering who we told what to who and who's pursuing us. How can we hear now? Be here now with that kind of mentality. So getting clear, ethics, character development, morality, and self-discipline, etc., leads to deeper focus, concentration, meditation, leads to love, a wisdom and love. Sheila, Samadhi, and Prajna, a few Buddhist scholars. Buddhism has always explained this way from the bottom up. Ethics leads to meditation, mindfulness leads to wisdom. But Dzogchen, as I said last night, from the top down, explained from view, meditation, and action, starting with the bigger picture and then bringing it down into embodiment and activity. So the Four Noble Truths, the, uh, the fourth one is the Eightfold Path, which is divided into the three enlightenment trainings, ethics, meditation, and wisdom. Dzogchen is explained according to view, meditation, and action. The view of things as they are, not some philosophy, not about shunyata, translated weakly as emptiness or voidness or subjectivity. The view, the view of things as they are. And then the meditation of unmeditation or non-meditation, as we call it in Tibetan. Letting things be as they are. Letting go, letting be. Radical acceptance, equanimity. And that leads naturally to spontaneous, proactive Buddha activity, not reactive karmic activity. So as we're practicing here, Again, if you're new, and there will be a beginner's meeting, those new to Dzogchen this afternoon with some of my assistant teachers. Also, we have a Dharma talk this afternoon at 2 o'clock with the senior meditation instructor who has her own meditation group in Bedford, Julie Barker, Gillette, Julie BG of the BGs, the new BGs right here. Um, I don't know how she has time to meditate or have her own meditation group. She also has uh, four children at home. No, I guess it's three and a husband. <laughs> Whatever. Who, the last we heard this morning, were running around in circles like the wild Indians around General Custer. <laughs> Mainly from sugar. <laughs> but we're hopeful. It all comes out in the end. So we're practicing Dzogchen, view meditation and action, natural meditation, the three pillars for you new people, natural body, just sitting, not any particular asana or mudra or gesture or position, just sitting, of course, if you have an upright posture, and a straight spine, that's good, but not rigid. I'm not stressing being unmoved, like rigid, more like 
your mind being unmoved or imperturbable, unshakable like a mountain. So view like the sky, meditation like a mountain, and then naturally action comes like the ocean's waves, inexhaustible. But Dzogchen is a teaching, perhaps it's a little like Zen, if you're familiar with Zen. I'm looking around the room if there are any hidden Zen masters here in Mufti or in Sivis. The Zen scriptures famously say, a teaching outside the Buddhist scriptures pointing directly at the true nature of mind. That's a quote. You can read it in most Zen books. A teaching or an instruction outside the Buddhist scriptures pointing directly at the nature of mind or our true nature. The spiritual mind, the heart mind, as it says in Chinese, trust in the heart, poem by the Zen ancestor, third Zen ancestor. Anyway, Dzogchen is a teaching that introduces us directly to the fact, to the non-dual awareness, to the Buddha within. The quote from Tibetan is, we're all Buddhas by nature, not Buddhists. We're all Buddhas by nature. It's only temporary obscurations which veil that fact. We're all Buddhas by nature, intrinsically. It's only adventitious obscurations which veil that fact, suddenly arising, which also means impermanent, and suddenly dissolving if we don't congeal them with a crazy glue of our concepts and fixation and attachments. Oh, I think too much. Oh, I got to think about that. And so on. It's good to be aware of that, but awareness of thinking is different than just being caught up in thinking and having some perspective. That's why I mentioned last night, some people call it taking the backward step and having a little space to think or to aware, to be mindful before you react so you can more consciously, intentionally respond. That's the essence of mindful anger management. Take the backward step before you swat the poor fly that's on you and kill it, or before you restlessly change your position. And when you start doing that, then you know there's no rest anywhere. Somehow you can sit in the movies for an hour or two without moving that much and with your eyes open. But when we try to meditate for half an hour without moving, with our eyes open, people find it very difficult. Perhaps that's because we're not interested as much as we are in the movies, fascinated and captivated. So the interest factor, as Buddha called it, being interested, investigating, curious in what, what's going in, in reality, and that word needs to be in quotes, being interested, the interest factor of mind, as Buddha called it, is very crucial. Having an inquiring mind, a spiritual curiosity, investigation and questioning is one of the seven factors of enlightenment, according to Buddha. Not just mindfulness and meditation, not just faith, but investigation, questioning, look it up. One of the seven factors of enlightenment. One of the seven main ingredients in Buddha's recipe for awakening. So questioning is good. My Zen master in Korea, Sung San Sinim, a great Zen master at Sangkwang Sa Monastery, where people like Stephen Batchelor studied, where I studied, 
where Martine Batchelor studied and others, where Robert uh, like Boswell, the professor of Buddhism, Zen, uh, well-known professor of Buddhism at Berkeley, studied and was a monk. Our master, the Nine Mountains, or Kusan Sinim, said, small doubt or small questioning, small enlightenment. Great doubt brings great enlightenment. That's not what we usually hear from the pulpit, where people try to beat you over the head with the bludgeon of faith. You need to be more faithful. You need to believe. Oh, maybe I do, but I don't believe. I need to find out. So that's our postmodern situation. Finding out, investigating, questioning is very important. So in this practice, every moment, kind of having wonderment is the Dzogchen term for this. Imaho, like wondrous, like, holy shit. If you want to develop it, which is discursive thinking, but it's like, wow, what's that? Never saw that before. Just imagine if you were at the breakfast table instead of reading your paper. I don't know, are there still newspapers? <laughs> reading your paper because you're, you're taught, you know everything that your mate's going to say. You've been with them so long. Imagine if you sat down at the breakfast table and you said, holy shit, what's that? <laughs> Who are you? Hi. You might have a different relationship. Maybe don't do that with your little twins. It might get confusing. <laughs> but with an adult with mental health. You know, have a fresh take. You never know. Change happens. Our concepts aren't everything. So we're practicing with this fresh mind of wonder or interest or curiosity or investigation, attitude, not just mind but body also of feeling and sensation and embodiment. Wow, sitting, just sitting is sitting Buddha. Mm. Not just, what does he mean? But, uh, try it. Sit on your Buddha seat. Uh, it ain't a cross. It ain't that hard. And breathe. You know, it's hard to breathe on a cross. We don't have to do that practice. Sit on your Buddha, sit and breathe. That's like the whole instruction in one. Breathe and be. <sighs> if you must think, I am Buddha. That's extra, but you know, just to get in the mood. <sighs> <sighs> like a mountain, weigh 10 billion pounds, and not a fat of solid Buddha gold nature. You know, beautiful. instead of so often falling into our habitual identity. Uh, you know, schnucko, schmucko, bafo, whatever, you know. Bubba, that's it, bubba. I mean, who do we think we're, we are not? Everybody says, who do you think you are? How can you do that? You're just a woman. You can't be president. Well, is that true? Fuck that. You're just a woman. You can't be Buddha. Read. Is that true? Fuck that. 
What does it have to do with gender? There's no gender in the absolute nature. So in this practice, we, as the great Dzogchen Master, the Jirimpache says, push the primordial Buddha off its seat and we assume it ourselves. But that's not an ego thing. That's like your true nature. But we've got to look deep to find that. It takes real maturation, insight, self-realization, penetration, etc. Discernment. That's where investigation comes in and being very honest with ourselves as truth seekers. So we're all Buddhas by nature. We only have to recognize that fact. So why do we feel so miserable so much of the time? Why there's so many antidepressants being prescribed or other habits, cutting, addiction, self-violence, other violence, looking for love in all the wrong places, etc. Killing time, which is just like you know, deadening ourselves, killing ourselves. Time is life. That's all we have. Because some are sleeping Buddhas, some are awakened Buddhas. Like the Zen poem goes, like ice and water, different temporary states, same nature, H2O, different states, hard or soft, congealed or flowing. So that's what liberation is about. That's what it means. The inherent freedom of being, not imitating a Buddha's hairstyle or clothing or gender or race. That's why Buddha said anybody could become as enlightened as the Buddha by following, by pursuing such a path. And millions have, many have, and many will. So any questions or sharing, please, especially about your practice, but whatever's on your mind. I was looking. Hi. Hi. I was looking at the calendar this morning, which I think is absolutely beautiful. There was a little quote in there which just jumped right off the page. Um, and uh, you may recognize it. If you're not here now, you'll never be there then. Mm -hmm. Could you, um, I know it's not just a simple little quote. Could you maybe say a little more about that? You know, I've been talking about nowness and it's the perfect time and the perfect place and, you know, not getting to heaven after we die or getting to nirvana after many lifetimes of schlepping to get there, but not just getting from here to there as in the general gradual path, but getting from here to truly here, 200% here. So it's something like that. And it's about habit and routine and ruts and conditioning, if you want to use a psychological term that's more sophisticated, let's say. So if you're not here now, you know, you're continually creating that habit and deepening the rut. So how will you be there then? You won't be here now then. 
That's the point. So we're reconditioning and the, then deconditioning. So whatever we do has a karmic impact and makes a little, you know, rut or line in the sand or new synapse crossings or whatever. But it's not so deep. It's easier to get out of a new habit or a new job or a new relationship than a, a very, very old one, right? I mean, we can all understand that. Simile, allegory, whatever it is. So similarly, we practice bringing you know, our attention back to here and now and notice the tendency to lean forward into the future or think about the, what we're going to do when we leave here or how we're going to, you know, like I used to in India, maybe you're doing this now, I think about sending postcards to all your friends, if you could get stamps that they wouldn't steal off the postcards in the third world, um, you know, about how great this meditation is, and they should all come to India, because that's the only place you could do a 10-day meditation course like this with Goenka and stuff like that in the 1970s. So maybe you're sitting there, you know, thinking in the future. But the truth is, you are here now thinking about that. It's present awareness that's planning or fantasizing, as I mentioned last night. So it, it's an introduction to the nature of nowness awareness that we're always here now. We're fooling ourselves. If you're living in the past, you know, we usually say somebody else is living in the past, not us. And, they, you know, they think about it. Or as we get older, we have more past than future. So we're often, I don't know about you, we get together with our friends and we're talking about stories, you know, like I just did about being an Indian, sending postcards. Partly I said that to be funny, to remember about, you know, progress and postcards and, you know, what we, how we communicate now. But also, because it's 50 years ago, but to me it seems like five years ago. So, kind of a little living in the past nostalgically, but it's present awareness that's remembering. Again, so if you don't understand that, if you can't be here now, if you're not centered and present and embodied, you know, you're kind of living a little distance from your body, like James Joyce said. A little, even though you're not really, you know, over here like a dissociated or schizophrenic person, but you feel like you're living a little distance from your body. Or you're in your head, we say, living in the head. Of course, you're not living in the head, but it feels that way, and that everything gets processed through the thinking and well, and not through. This is a false dichotomy, but the heart or the feelings or the sensation or the emotions or the intuition, all the sheaths of your being. So that's a few thoughts about that. So if we're, if we're not cultivating present awareness or if we're not being embodied now, and I often hear this or I used to hear this, you know, in the 60s and 70s and 80s about how we... We hippies, we new agers, we, you know, we meditators, whatever, we're going to have a good death. We're going to, you know, die sitting up and meditating or, you know, with chanting or, you know, the right incense or the right situation so we can, you know, have a better rebirth or go to oneness with God or something. But that's not how most people die. But anyway, if you want to make that habit, if you're not doing it now, how are you going to do it then? when you're on painkillers and half in a coma and fighting for breath and wheezing and people are standing around crying and screaming and sticking things in and out of you. So again, even at the basic level, if we're not doing it now, how are we going to do it then? What have we aspired to do?
So that's why in Buddhism, when people say, what do we pray to? Because it's a non-theistic religion. We sort of cultivate or we uh, resolve, we, we d develop, we, we aspire. We're not praying to somebody for something like Santa Claus or not to make fun of God, but you know, God or goddess or the mountain or something like that. We cultivate being here now so we will be fully there then which means tomorrow or later or any time. That's a few thoughts about that saying in the calendar that I don't know. I don't know who said it. Probably I said it. Yeah. Questions? Anything? Yes, sir. Hello. Um, Hi. When TM first came into play in America many years ago, I, I read a few books on it and uh, learned it and talked with people and couldn't afford the lessons back then. Um, and, and so I've been basically just building on that, self-taught, and along the way I picked up a little analyzing and stabilizing stuff from Buddhist meditation techniques and talked with more people. So I've been living a lot in my own head and uh, don't know if I've got any of this right, really. I've never been instructed till now. And um, I don't know anything about Dzogchen and... I, I think I really need to hear a little more about the actual technique of meditation and what I need to be doing. Yeah, you'll keep hearing the same thing and hearing more about the position and the breathing and the attitude and things like and letting go and being present and if you need to watching, um, concentrating on your breathing as an anchor to present awareness. But basically, since you asked, a sincere and good question. Um, so, have you been meditating all these years? Or just reading and thinking about it? I couldn't tell. You said mostly you've been in your head, but you were trying to do it, and you learned some things from Buddhist techniques, and you talked to some people, but you didn't have a teaching, instruction, tradition, you know, have you been meditating or sitting or what have you been doing? Chanting a mantra? Because you mentioned TM. TM is mostly a mantra meditation. That's where I started. Uh, eventually, I left that behind and strained myself, I'll say, to just think about nothing, to just be aware. Is everybody listening? They or us. This is important. So you've been training yourself to think about nothing? And just be aware. So how do you do that? How, and how's that going? If I'm lucky, I can be there for several seconds and then back to thinking. Mm -hmm. That's uh, pretty good. Several seconds, not just one or two seconds. But go on. It's hard to think could about It could be nothing. one or two and just seems like several. Yeah. Right. Because that's like a timeless moment when there's no concepts, there's no time. So anyway, um, and then you get back to thinking. So how long do you usually do this kind of meditation? I've been doing about 30 minutes per day. Well, I'm about to you. I think he should get a gong for that, don't you think? Yeah, that's called meditation. We all do that. Like mindfulness meditation, I've mentioned being mindful of thoughts or mindful of physical sensation or the breathing. So when you're concentrating or mindful, let's just say basic mindfulness meditation is mindfulness of breathing, usually. That's often the first step, like in transcendental meditation, 
what you said, TM. The first step is getting initiated into a mantra. So you start chanting or saying in your mind a mantra and concentrating on that. And when the mind wanders as it does, you pull it back to the mantra and keep chanting the mantra. And when the mind, like a, a puppy, wanders, you keep pulling it back to poop on the paper, poop on the paper, poop on the paper. So if I had a weight here to demonstrate, it's like this. This is how you make your muscle stronger. Not by just leaving it like this or like this. So every time you pull it back, you're training the puppy to poop on the paper. You're keeping the attention, you're training your concentration to more one-pointed, more focused, more concentrated. And then more, you work on that, more mindful. So that's natural. Every, the mind is supposed to not wander. Um, think, just like the ears are supposed to hear, and sounds are not a problem if you know how to be mindful of sounds. It's all grist for the mill. So you keep bringing, you use the leash of remindfulness to pull the puppy back to the pooping paper. Or you use the leash of remindfulness to come back to the object of attention, would be a more Buddhist text way of saying it. The object of attention being the mantra, or the breath, or a visualization, or whatever. So in this, we're a little less focusing on the concentration and more on awareness itself, and whatever comes up. But that's challenging in the beginning. It's easy to be distracted. So I usually say concentrate lightly on the breathing and especially the out-breath with the principle of releasing. Of course, you're allowed to breathe in. But if you follow the breathing, observe the breathing, watch the breathing, feel the breathing at one place, that's a good object of attention. But not trying to focus like a laser beam on it also being aware of the distractions and letting the flotsam and jetsam go by on the stream of consciousness, which is the river of experience. So focusing or concentrating lightly on the breathing, the exhalation, inhalation, and some physical sensation that goes with it, because that's a good place to focus, easy, to grab hold of. And as for the other 50%, you know, this is very just... guesstimating, just let the flotsam and jetsam go by on the stream of consciousness, which is the river of your karmic experience. Not evaluating it, not trying to get rid of it, not trying to weed out the recycling bits, the good bits and the bad bits. You know, oh, nice bird sound. Oh, bad traffic sound. Why didn't it stop? You know, those are all just um, reactions. Your button's getting pushed based on attraction and aversion, or liking and disliking, which is how we go through life. So as we get more equanimity, we have more time to choose how to and when and if to respond, not just blindly react to the liking and disliking, which is probably our main pattern in life. Buddhists call it the main two poisons of attachment or desire and aversion or anger, based on illusion or delusion of separateness, ignorance. If I get that, then I'll be happy. If I get rid of it, then I'll be happy, based on the illusion of separateness and ignorance, as if you're going to get rid of that, and then you'll be happy forever, rather than you're interconnected. It's a process. It's entirely subjective, whether that's good or bad. You know, it's hard to say in the bigger picture, and so on. Of course, locally, 
it's important to know virtue from vice and health from, you know, poison, you know, health food from poison. But in the bigger picture, it's hard to say. If you break your leg, it's hard to say that that's bad because maybe it gets you out of, you know, the draft or something. But getting out of draft is hard to say, you see, and ad infinitum. And there are many stories about that where the story goes through all the things that happened. And the old man says to his son, the son says, oh, that's great. I broke my leg and now I, I'll get out of draft. And the old man says, okay, you know, we'll see. And then the next month comes along and something else happens and the boy is all upset and the old man says, well, we'll see. And then the, another iteration comes around and the old man says, we'll see. And, and through the whole you know, scheme, it's the boy learning from the old man, we'll see. Sure, nobody wishes their son will break their leg, but who knows? Maybe there's a you know, silver lining in that dark cloud. So an important principle is impermanence and subjectivity. It's very subjective. Okay? Thank you. These are meditation instructions. Because we're training into undoing the habit of overdoing. Because we're working against the general tendency to be very rigid about what is meditation or Buddhist liberation uh, practice, you know, that you have to do it with your eyes closed and quiet, sitting cross-legged and other things that people do. It's a little new in this Western world, so we're not that savvy with what it's really about, you know, what the essence is, not just what the forms are. Just like with TM, everybody who knows about transcendental meditation can tell you it's a mantra meditation, but it's not always just a mantra meditation. It develops into like the mon just like a natural mantra or you don't say it or you don't just even hear it going around in your mind. It's just like every breath is the mantra. Everything is the mantra. It's like the cosmic ohm, which is everywhere always, not you doing it. But who knows that? Who's gone far enough in TM to do that? And if they have, they're probably not here coming to a, a Dzogchen retreat. They're probably at TM University in the Midwest or wherever. So I hope that's helpful. And we're very aware that um, some people are new-ish to Dzogchen, and so we try to, you know, I, I try to avoid the jargon words and the foreign words and uh, too much philosophy about these things. You notice I haven't really mentioned, talked much about philosophy or shunyata, so-called emptiness, or um, dukkha, suffering, and some other things. In fact, I propound a positive Buddhism, not a Buddhism of dukkha, but like a positive psychology about our strengths, not just psychology as a healing art about pathology. So I've mentioned several times original goodness, Buddha nature, basic goodness, and quoted sources that use those words. That's like the positive, the tantric, the positive Buddhism of the Vajrayana of Mahamudra and Dzogchen. The journey from here to truly here, not many lifetimes or decades purifying and uh, changing and transforming, which of course might go on at the same time, but not waiting for that to happen. Because sleeping Buddha or waking Buddha, still Buddha is you, the 
That's what Buddha nature, innate Buddha nature means. Not you get it from above, you get it from outside, you get it from the front of the room, or you don't get it. So it's more about recognition, self-realization, introduction, or like pointing out and recognizing and so on. Thank you. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Time can feel like it's in short supply. Between work, family, and friends, there's very little time left just for you. What would you do with an extra hour in your day? What's important to you? Therapy can help you find what matters to you so that you can do more of it. It's a great way to increase self-awareness, build a greater sense of purpose, deal with overthinking, and more. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online and designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash be here now today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash be here now.